Hey everybody, it's Charles from HumbleMechanic.com. Today I'm taking your questions on EOS tops, tuning your engine, underboost faults, and more. This is episode 208 of the Humble Mechanic Podcast. In order to get a question on a show like this, email me, charles at HumbleMechanic.com. Put question for Charles in the subject, ask the question right at the top, mash that enter button a couple of times and give me some space, then give me the details of your question so I know your question while I'm reading the details. Also, if you don't see your question on a show like this, be sure to check out the quick videos playlist on YouTube where I do one question per video. All right, let's talk about sponsor of the day, which is CRP Automotive. CRP deals in a ton of OE maintenance and repair parts, timing belt kits, suspension components, and even fluids. In fact, they make the factory DSG fluid for Volkswagen and Audi. So check them out at crpautomotive.com. And hey, remember, if you want to help support the show, as well as get exclusive content, discounts you can't get anywhere else for places like Adams Polishes, MT Knives, Sonic Tools, Eastwood, and more, check out the crew membership program. And not only do you get all the awesome discounts and content, you also get the VW Audi training manuals that I build for the classes that I teach. In fact, later this week, we'll be teaching two brand new classes in California, so I'm super pumped about that. You get those as downloads for free. And hey, if you don't feel like watching this video, you can actually listen to the show. There's a couple of ways. You can download it from the blog over at humblemechanic.com. You can also check it out on iTunes, and I'm working hard to get it on all the rest of the other podcast platforms. So you can just take me with you in your car drive to work or wherever, and you don't have to actually watch these videos. I just want to make sure you guys know that there is now an audio-only version. All right, with all that wrapped up, let's hit the questions. First one comes from Russ. Can a VW Jetta 1.8 Mark VI be tuned to, let's say, 300 to 400 wheel horsepower reliably? I know the Mark VI GLI can. Correct me if I'm wrong. So, Russ, good question. Um, there's, there's a level of reliability that you have to be comfortable with when you start dabbling in the three to 400 wheel horsepower range. So first of all, to answer your direct question as it's written, can you tune to 300, 400 horsepower? No, you can't simply go beep, boop, 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 beep, boop with a computer and like that have three to 400 wheel horsepower. You can build to 300 or 400 wheel horsepower. And I know that may seem like, Charles, thank you for pointlessly correcting me, but it's really not, because to me, tuning and modifying are different. Tune is a modification, so you, you have to modify more than just simply the ECM. If you wanna get to this three to 400 wheel horsepower range, you're probably buying a turbo, you're almost definitely down, upgrading the downpipe, downgrading the uppipe, upgrading the downpipe. You're almost definitely doing an intercooler. You're probably, I'm not 100% sure, but probably dabbling in the space of upping your fuel delivery as well. These pumps and injectors can put out a lot. 300, 400 wheel horsepower is asking a whole bunch from the car. So, you know, it, it can be done. The parts are out there. The availability to do this is out there. It's just not going to be as simple, I guess, or probably as affordable as if you were starting with the two liter already. So if you have a 1.8, then of course it's gonna be cheaper to modify than trade up. If you're thinking about buying a car and you want 300 to 400 wheel horsepower, well, now we need to see, okay, maybe it makes more sense 
to go ahead and buy the two liter where the parts are more available, they're more proven. These cars have been modified like this for a long, long time. So it should be, right? We'll use air quotes, should be a much easier slash bolt-on slash kit type modification than the 1.8, which isn't as proven. It hasn't been around as long. Everybody hasn't been there, done that with that engine. It can be done, it can be done. Again, reliable is sort of a state of mind. You know, whenever you start modifying your car beyond what the factory has done, you start to sacrifice reliability. It's like a scale, right? As horsepower and modifications and money you spend to make the car the way you want go up, the reliability factor starts to go down. Think about how much reliability problems manufacturers have anyway, and now you're decreasing the reliability. Sure, you could modify it and never have a problem, but you are increasing the odds of having said problem in some way, shape, or form. You just need to make sure that you're doing these modifications in a way that the reliability doesn't suffer completely, that you know, if you wanna hop in, fire the key, and drive three hours, you're not scared to, most of the time that's okay, but you are likely, or more likely I should say, to break things and have other problems you didn't plan for beyond what, <laughs> beyond what the manufacturer already has issues with. So Russ, good question, it can be done, it's just a matter of how much are you willing to spend on the parts and then how much are you willing to sacrifice on reliability? All right, next one up comes from Val, and this is a long one. He says, aside from the usual suspects, what could be causing a P0299 code in my 06 GTI? P0299 is an underboost issue. I have an 06 GTI FSI with 115K, and I have an APR Stage 2 tune on it. Here's what's been done. Camshaft, follower, high-pressure pump replaced. Problem started immediately after this job, and I didn't have the problem before this. Timing kit, diverter valve, charge air seals, fuel filter new, turbo with 50K on it, smoke slash pressure test revealing nothing, compression test shows around 110 across all cylinders, only a few PSI variants between the cylinders, and a carbon cleaning. Val also goes into a whole lot more details that he took it a couple of places, they didn't fix it, he had turbo issues even with the turbo with 50K on it, seems to have gotten that rectified. But basically, I don't know that I wanna get super deep into all the rest of what, <laughs> what he had mentioned because immediately we see a problem. Okay, we have an underboost fault. The vehicle's not creating enough boost or the sensors aren't seeing that it's creating enough boost. The big, the big flag that I'm seeing is on your compression. You said it's right about 100. Okay, max wear limit on that engine is seven bar or it's like 101 and a half or 102, uh, 102.5 PSI, something like that. You're right on the cusp of the maximum wear limit. That makes me really, really nervous when it's that low. To give you a comparison, the new engine is anywhere from 11 to 14 bar. So we have about half half the amount of compression that we really should have. So what do we do next? Well, we can worry about the underboost problem, but I feel like we need to address the probability that we have a mechanical issue with the engine. If you took it to a mechanic and he did a compression test and compression was low, even if technically it is above spec by one PSI, okay, that's the difference between looking at a gauge like this and looking at a gauge like this. 
One PSI to me I would still be concerned about. You need to do, next step, is do a cylinder leak down test. What a cylinder leak down test is, we roll the engine to TDC compression on each cylinder. So we're gonna do one cylinder first, roll it around to TDC compression, we put this apparatus on it, we supply air to it, and it basically pressurizes the system simulating making compression. And odds are, you're going to find a leak somewhere. Where that leak is, we don't know. It could be the piston rings. It could be the valve seals. It could be the valves aren't seated all the way. It could be any of that. You know, it's, it's kind of odd that they're all the same and all low. So that leads me to think probably in the valve seal or piston ring range, rather than something like one valve not seating all the way. Your wear is consistent across all the cylinders. So to me, that's like the spot I would start with. Why is compression low? The next thing I kind of want to go back a little bit in time and analyze when the failure of the high pressure pump happened. How did it fail? Was it, uh, you just had the code, the, what is it, 80087 uh, code or something like that? Was that it? Was it catastrophic high pressure fuel pump failure? What actually happened? Are we dealing with something where maybe our timing's a little off? Are there other faults associated with this you know, 0299 fault? These are all questions that if I were looking at the car, I would need to have answered. Are we dealing with an underboost and a timing issue? We need to take care of the timing first. Basically, we need to take care of everything else before we start dealing with the underboost fault. You also want to kind of backtrack what the guy that did the cam did. You had said in that extra description that he wasn't super familiar with the car. Okay, is something plugged in wrong? Uh, is a hose off? Is the intake manifold not on all the way? Is the exhaust manifold leaking? All of these things are things that I'm thinking, okay, this could be a problem, this could be a problem, this could be a problem. So you need, need, need to get the cylinder leak down test done. That is step one. Find out why you are having this super low compression. Were the cylinders washed down with fuel? I mean, there's a, there's a hundred things that it could be. You need to start figuring out why your compression is so low. I would probably run another compression test because we don't know the parameters of this test. Was it cold? Was it hot? Can you do a dry compression test versus a wet compression test? Can you do a running compression test? That usually points to more valve train issues. If they're really, really high, if running compression is really, really high, then usually you have a valve train issue. So you got more mechanical stuff to do. Um, if, if all that checks out, then I would be looking at the N75 valve. Was it replaced when the turbo was replaced? Was it good? You know, you had other issues with that turbocharger you bought. It may be a problem as well. Go through, make sure you don't have something as simple as the intake pipe is not on all the way or something really dumb like that. Make sure that's not a problem, but uh, you have some more diagnosis to do. There's not a, a red flag waving like this. The only thing I see as a potential real problem instantly from your information is that compression is really, really low. So start there and then work your way out. I've seen those cam lobes roll uh, on doing this job. Usually that's a timing or a misfire problem, but it's something that you may want to look at. Heck, maybe it's the wrong camshaft. You know, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's a billion possibilities, but 
I would worry about leak down first, then I would start backtracking that technician's work since it started there and then had the problem, which you didn't have before. So good luck, man. Hey, when that gets fixed, update us and let us know what you found. All right, next up from Mac, I have an 07 EOS. Need I say more? That's funny. Uh, well, obviously I do. A tree limb dropped onto the uninsured moonroof and broke it into a thousand shards of safety glass. I bought a secondhand replacement, but can't figure out how to get the old one out and install the new one. Of course, I called dealers, glass shops, independent VW techs, and the one or two that might consider doing it are throwing numbers around like $1,600 to $2,200. By the way, none of them have ever done this job. This is in Atlanta, mind you. Help. Thanks, Mac. Um, Mac, I'm surprised that no one in Atlanta, body shop or otherwise, have uh, have done that glass. So uh, I just glance back to see your list of who you called. Call a body shop. They might actually be the best in this space. I can't imagine there's not a body shop in Atlanta proper or Atlanta Metro uh, that hasn't done an EOS glass. This is not a horribly uncommon problem because EOS is, is, is right? EOSI, they get in accidents. So someone has to have fixed. And Atlanta's a big area. You may have to drive an hour, but um, you should be able to do it. The $1,600 to $2,200 sounds to me like one of those numbers that they're quoting you because they don't want to do the job. Um, and they're like scaring you off because, hey, if we tell him it's too much, he won't want to do it. This is actually not that abnormal because if you sell it for a low amount, you're going to get crushed, especially when it comes to tree type damage where they're probably over quoting it because they're almost positive that there's going to be more than just busted glass without seeing it. Of course, none of the rest of us can actually know what's going on. It's not until you get in there and really dive into the problem before you'll know all of what's happening. So I looked up the repair procedure and it doesn't seem to be like rocket surgery or anything, but you're going to need some special tools. You're going deep into the top. You need to be able to support the top. And most importantly, there's very specific process for doing this because some of the bolts for the top, you loosen. Some of the bolts for the top, you remove. You need the brackets that hold the top. So what you're going to do is you're going to put the glass all the way back. Well, you're going to put the frames all the way back and uh, you're going to get the top about halfway back. Volkswagen then has brackets that it sits down and rests on so that you can work on the top without it going clunk, 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 and dropping into the trunk. You are going to need to have those. There's a cheat around it. I'm not going to advertise it to the world because I don't want anyone trying it, doing it wrong, and then, you know, crushing their hand or something like that. Um, from there, you drop the headliner, you take the sunshade out. And then you unbolt the glass in a very certain, very specific way. The sunroof motor also have to come out as well. And because they're dealing with broken glass, something I've ran into every time I've dealt with broken glass is glass goes everywhere. So they're going to be cleaning glass for hours. This may be another reason why they charge you so much because they're going to be cleaning glass. Even if you get what you see, there is more glass in the thing. This is not a job I would recommend anyone do, period, unless they're 100% confident. And even if they're confident, I would recommend they have the repair manual in front of them while they're doing the job. If I were going to do this job, I would print the procedure out, I would take it over to my vehicle, and I would work on the vehicle with the repair manual procedure in my hand. 
when we start talking about EOS tops, when we start talking about these really intricate moving pieces, most of the time, with the intricacy of the movement, the intricacy of the repair is about the same. So if you take a bolt out that you weren't supposed to, or loosen a bolt that you weren't supposed to, or take a bolt out you were only supposed to loosen, you can throw off the entire adjustment or movement of the top. And if you think the glass is expensive, the top is going to be more. I think they're in the tune of five to six grand, uh, which is about half of what they were when the car was new. So it, it's, a, it's a detailed process, it's an intricate process. I can't explain to you how to do it in a video like this. My best advice is to keep calling around, call body shops, see if the local dealerships have recommended VW body shops or Audi, call Audi and see if Audi has a recommended body shop because that's probably where if the dealership got one that needed a glass, that's probably where we would send it because in addition to the glass repair, it would probably need some kind of paint work because that glass really does a good job of scratching up paint when uh, when it breaks. So, man, I wish I could say, all you gotta do is take these three bolts out, but unfortunately that's not how it works. Call Body Shop, that is your best bet. All right, last one of the day comes from Grady. I have an 0825 Jetta. I put 75,000 miles on it. In four years, I've owned it. I'm getting ready to replace the rear brake pads for the third time now. I have yet to do the front pads as they appear they are still good. How long do the front pads normally last? I know some VWs have more rear brake bias, but it seems like a lot of miles for my front brakes to be lasting as I live up in Boone and I do a lot of spirited driving every now and then. So for those of you that don't know, Boone is in the mountains of North Carolina, the northwest-ish corner of North Carolina. Beautiful place, by the way. Why do Grady's brakes keep wearing in the rear and the fronts are perfect? This is for a couple of reasons. One, it's your driving style. Um, over the years, I have seen a lot of cars wear rear brakes really fast. When this body style first came out, 20 to 25K having brakes metal to metal and the rear was pretty common. I mean, for a technician, it's great because we're putting brakes on super early. For customers, it sucks because, well, they're putting brakes on super early. Yet, we would never worry at all about the front pads. Let me give you my example in my Passat. It currently, as it sits, has about 157,000 miles on it. I am on my first replacement of front pads, and I'm coming close to having to replace the rear pads for a second time. That is because I'm a pretty heavy-footed breaker. I kind of wait till the, a later minute to hit the brakes. So that means I'm putting more pressure on the pedal. That means I'm putting more bias towards the front than the rear. Brakes are always going to bias more towards the front than the rear. But there's an interesting thing about the way Volkswagen brakes perform. And you can see this when you compare you know, this generation VW to the similar year of, say, a Toyota Corolla or a Toyota Camry. When you brake in a Camry, if this is the front, usually the car kind of dips like this because there is more front bias of the brakes. When you're braking in this car, it doesn't dip nearly as much as the Honda or Toyota does. It sort of just stops. And the reason that is, is the rear brakes actually touch the rotor a split second, not even a split second, uh, milliseconds, right, before the front does. That's why they're wearing the rears first because they're actually making contact with the rotor before the fronts are. There was one other thing that these were common for and that's actually the parking brake cables moving around and pulling 
as you'd hit a bump, it would, it would kind of pull like this and it would pull the rear brakes. Um, you'd never see the light, you'd never notice any drivability concern, and that's really why you're seeing these rear brakes wear ultra fast. They seem to have corrected this in the later generation Volkswagen, which is great for customers, stinks for technicians because brakes are one of our, uh, our money makers in the shop. So how long can you expect for the front brakes to last? Well, if you need brakes on your front of your Volkswagen at 150 and that's your first set, that's pretty darn normal. So you're going to have to inspect it, you're going to have to evaluate it, I put mine on at about 154. I probably could have waited a little bit. The brake wear indicator wasn't quite on, but boy, boy were they pretty close. So I don't like to wait till the last minute on brakes. You don't need to get every dollar out of your brake pad. It's not worth the safety risk. All right, guys, I'm gonna wrap it up there. Questions, comments, you know what to do. Hey, if you like the video, thumbs up, always appreciate that. If you're listening on iTunes, feel free to head over to iTunes and leave a review over there also. Always appreciate that. Remember, if you want exclusive content discounts you can't get anywhere else to places like Black Forest, Eastwood, Eurowise, My Canic, and more, check out the crew membership program. You can also support the show on Patreon or click that Amazon link, buy whatever you're gonna buy on Amazon, and I get a little credit for it when you make a purchase. It doesn't have to be automotive related or anything, and that one's cool because it costs you zero extra dollars. You can also follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course on Snapchat. All right, guys, thanks so much for watching or listening, and I will see you next time.